and he got up and followed him. Now it happened that when Yeshua was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Yeshua and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does this teacher of yours eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, Yeshua said, Those who are healthy have no need for a doctor, but those who are sick do. Now go and learn what this means. Mercy I desire and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinful. Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Yeshua said to them, The guests of the bridegroom cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear happens. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, and the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. I imagine that some, fo some folks were listening to my brief presentation about uh, Rabbi Iyer and um, Reverend Graham and kind of scratching their heads and wondering why on earth is the rabbi mentioning all of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I know that, that for half of the country, yesterday was a day of complete and utter euphoria. Um, the other half was complete and utter dys-euphoria. And uh, for us who are part of the Messianic uh, Jewish community, uh, it's on one hand, on the other hand. On one hand, we're glad that at the inauguration there was reference to Scripture, there was reference to God. However, part of reality for us is that we look with a broader perspective. Um, if you have lived long enough and you're familiar with Jewish history, you'll recognize the fact that for us, um, existence is like a fiddler on the roof. You, you, you've seen fiddler on the roof? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it feels very comfortable. Sometimes it feels very tenuous. It just so happens that this week, there were a couple of other bits of information that caught my eye that I wanted to share with you. Um, one, the, uh, on Wednesday... Uh, there were 16 uh, bomb scares in Jewish community centers all over this country. Um, also this week I found out that Mein Kampf, Hitler's uh, biographical or autobiographical rant 
um, became the number two bestseller in Germany. Um, this is the first time that Mein Kampf had been uh, published. And in all fairness, I have to say that uh, it was published with a lot of um, explanatory notes urging people not to jump into Hitler's mindset. However, Mein Kampf is also being translated and going to be published in France and in Italy. And I would, uh, I don't need to speculate how it's going to make its way to the United States. So this is part of reality for us um, who are part of the Messianic Jewish community, whether you're uh, Jewish ethnically or whether you have embraced God's call for us and you're aware of, of the ups and downs of what happens to folks who are uh, part of God's physical people. And part of what happens to all of us is the inclination to gather into a circle of wagons. Now, I know if you were from a, a Native American uh, background, that is not a particularly comfortable kind of a picture. But, you know, as the settlers were moving uh, west in, in their wagons and the Indian, the Native Americans, the Indian warriors came charging over the hill and the, uh, the settlers quickly formed a wagon in order to protect himself um, from the attack of, uh, of the enemies. And it's been my impression over the years that sometimes what can happen to us who are followers of Yeshua is we can get into that same kind of mindset. That we feel that the evil one, the enemies are out there and that we need to uh, form a circle of wagons in order to protect ourselves. Um, and yes, on one hand, um, we need to band together as uh, as a mishpacha in order to support and encourage uh, as we go through different circumstances, different life circumstances. However, um, it's both and. We've been called both to be strong as a community, and Rabbi David will be uh, sharing in this next week, but as well, we have been called to have an outward focus. And so that's the direction I feel led to share this morning. I wanted to pause and ask that you join me as we pray. Lord, um, we thank you and bless you that you challenge us and you bring us out of our comfort zone. We thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to be light and darkness and to be available, Lord God, to be your vessels to communicate the good news to those who are in need, who are hungry to know you. And we pray, Lord God, for holy chutzpah, the ability, Lord God, to look beyond ourselves, our situations, and to see what it is that you desire to do in the expansion of your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for all these things in the name of Yeshua. 
Amen. This is uh, the third week in a series on what does it mean to be a disciple of Yeshua, a follower of Yeshua. And part of the emphasis has been the fact that discipleship has a different connotation than being a believer. Being a believer is, can be viewed somewhat passively, and this is not to minimize the life of faith, which is um, a struggle and calls for strength. However, discipleship has the connotation of walking with Messiah and being able to uh, serve him in different environments. And as we have been seeing the last couple of Shabbatot, what defines Yeshua is not the fact that he was compassionate. And yes, he was. What defines Yeshua is an absolute commitment to do the Father's will. If you remember um, during the episode of the Samaritan woman, uh, Yeshua was talking to this gal and they, the disciples go out into the city and then they come back and they said, Rabbi, you're hungry, you should eat. You know, very Jewish uh, approach here. And Yeshua said, no, you, do, you guys don't get it. What sustains me, my food, is my commitment to carry out the Father's will. So as we see Yeshua going from place to, to place in a way that sometimes doesn't seem to makes sense, doesn't connect the dots because there seems to be no apparent rhyme or reason why he goes from place to place. We need to remember that underneath or through all of that is a basic reality that Yeshua is being led by the Spirit of God to carry out the Father's will in each and every one of these situations. And remember that that's the model that he put before us who are his disciples to do likewise, to be committed to doing the Father's will and to depend upon the leading of the Spirit in our daily life as we go from here to here to here. And so uh, Yeshua is, is walking along here. This is in Galilee, um, close to, to Capernaum. And he sees a, a dude named... Matityahu, sitting at the, the tax collector's booth. And Yeshua said to him, follow him, and he gets up and follows him. Now, we've, you've probably seen this uh, if you're familiar with uh, the record of Yeshua's life and ministry. You probably have seen this a bunch of times. But let me see if I can spread, if, if I can unpack it for you so that you understand the uh, the impact of Yeshua's action here. First of all, this guy's name, Matityahu, means the gift of God. We also know from the accounts in Mark and Luke that his given name was Levi. Or he was a Levite. So you have a couple of bits of practical information about this guy. He comes from a family, the clan, that is committed to serving in a temple. And he has been called a gift of God. And what is this guy doing? He is working for the occupying force, the hated Romans. 
And what the Romans did, you may or may not know, they, um, they had expenses. They had bills. They needed to have those bills paid. So they had tax people situated in different places, and those Roman officials then uh, gave to the highest bidder uh, the actual responsibility of collecting the taxes. Um, and so, you know, we complained about taxes, uh, income tax, sales tax, and so on. We should have lived in those years, and then we would know something about taxes. Because part of the picture was there was a head tax for each person. There was something like a sales tax, which meant that when you went from point A to point B um, through I-25 to I-70, that the juncture point, there was a tax booth. And you had to stop, and you had to pay tax. You had to, If you were driving a, uh, a wagon full of beets, then you had to pay tax on the beets. And if it looks like you had uh, a good crop, then the tax collector might look at you and say, you've had a good crop, you need to pay extra. And they had the authority to do any and all of that. So you can see that the tax collectors were hated and that they were the people exhibit A of what it meant to be sinner with a capital S. So much so that a tax collector was not permitted to come into court and give testimony. Um, he, along with the female version of the sinners, the prostitutes, uh, were considered to be outcast, along with anybody else who was not commit who was not committed to carrying out the principles of the Torah. So they were basically what we would consider to be low lives. And you would think that as Yeshua was walking, that he would kind of sashay past this guy and do his best to ignore him. And we have the exact opposite. Yeshua makes connection with this guy and says to him, follow me. Now think about the implications. The, the, the rabbi's commitment was to gather people around him who then would make disciples and spread the teaching of the rabbi from place to place. Now, would you and I want to have someone become our disciple who was a lowlife like Matthew? And the answer from our perspective probably would be absolutely not. But what I found fascinating is that Matthew not only drops everything, all the shkalim, all the money bags, and everything else, all the record books, he drops everything, and he follows Yeshua. And then he invites Yeshua to his house, and then he brings his fellow lowlives into, into his house to meet his new rabbi. Now, from a Pharisaic perspective, and by the way, we'll talk in a minute about the fact that not all Pharisees were, were, were these awful people. 
but a bunch of them were, quite a few of them were, in fact, majority of them were, from their perspective, Yeshua was doing what he had absolutely no business to do. And yet, remember two things about Yeshua. First of all, he was committed to doing the Father's will. He didn't care what people thought. And secondly, he was moved with compassion, which he is clearly doing that. Because remember, what defines God, folks, is not the fact that he is just and angry. What defines God is first and foremost the fact that he's merciful. James puts it this way, mercy trumps justice. Okay? Which means that above everything else, what God is interested in is conveying mercy to people. So, Yeshua comes and hangs out with these low lives. Now, you have to remember that when you came into the house of someone like Matthew, there wasn't a table uh, stacked with burgers, and you grabbed the burger, woofed it down, and then skedaddled. Scripture says that Yeshua was reclining, like we do, are supposed to do in Passover. Recline to the left. What does that mean? It means that you're eating at leisure. You're in no big, no big fat hurry to get out of there. It also tells us that the other fellow lowlifes were coming. You kind of get the implication that people were coming and going. And Yeshua is talking to them. He doesn't, he doesn't put a bubble around himself and kind of sits there stiffly. He is talking, he is interacting, he's engaging with them. And, and the word, the Greek word for sitting has the sense of associating with them. In other words, he's finding out, okay, what's your name and, and, and where do you come from and, and how long have you been a fisherman and so on and so forth. Well, let me tell you about fish. And what it really means to, to, to be a fisherman and so on and so forth, as was his custom. And apparently there was open windows, open doors, and, and the Pharisees were dogging Yeshua's trail. They wanted to know what was going on. Why did they want to do that? Because they wanted to find ways to invalidate him. This is not a power trip. It's about spiritual authority. Who has spiritual authority? Because if Yeshua had spiritual authority, then rank and file should listen to him. If he had no spiritual authority, then the rank and file should not listen to him. And that's why you have, as time goes on, you have this battle for authority continuing. And, and the Pharisees would say to him, who are you and by what, authority, by what authority are you doing what you're doing? Again, please remember that the Pharisees were not all evil people. Um, in fact, at the end of this section, there was a ruler who came and knelt down before him. Kneeling before somebody was a recognition of the fact that you recognize that they're superior, that they're in, in a higher place to you. And a ruler of the synagogue was the guy that ran the synagogue. 
that was he was the administrator of the building and and uh, who was going to come up and and read from the Torah and uh, who was going to play uh, on the worship team and so on and so forth. So you have a number of those. Of course, most of all, uh, the most telling example was Nicodemus, who was a rabbi of rabbis and who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the spiritual supreme court of the land, and so on and so forth. So my point simply is the Pharisees have been giving a bum rap, and so we need to, to recognize the fact that even though they as a group were legalistic and hypocritical and so on and so forth, there were God-fearing individuals among them. But this particular batch um, has one thing in mind, and that is simply to see if they can trip up Yeshua. And at least the way I read this passage, you don't see Yeshua kind of going, well, let's see, how do I present this in language that is PC, that these Pharisees are, are not going to be upset at me and uh, are not going to go on and spread stories about me. No, Yeshua does, again, folks, Yeshua does what he considers to be the Father's will, what he knows to be the Father's will. And if you put yourself in his shoes as I am reluctant to do because I realize that in his shoes I, I would have my periscope looking out for the Pharisees. These guys coming after me. So, uh, of course, they hear and they, they don't come to Yeshua directly. They're wimpy. They come to his disciples and say, what business does your boss have in coming and speaking with these low lives. These sinners. And by the, by the way, this is so, um, so ironic because even the, even the Pharisees understood that everybody was a sinner. But when they speak about sinners, they talk about sinners with a capital S. You know, just, just as we have our categories we look at people and we say, okay, he's a drug pusher. That's a sinner. Um, or he's a pimp. That's a sinner. Uh, we have sins, but, you know, they're not so big, bad, and ugly. Again, as you read this, you see that Yeshua is not interested in trying to prove anything to anybody. And think about how much of our life is spent trying to do that, trying to validate ourselves, first of all, in our eyes, trying to validate ourselves in other people's eyes. And you, you have none of that. Yeshua just directly speaks to them and says, is not the healthy, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. Think about it, common sense. Uh, if these guys are big, bad, ugly sinners, then don't you think that they're the ones who need the help more than you guys do? That maybe because they're sinners, they understand that, that they need help and they're willing to receive the help? He is not in any way, shape, or form saying to them, hey guys, you are wonderfully healthy 
You are wonderfully spiritual. You don't need any help, but these sinners do. And, you know, I, I, I was thinking about how that it is so easy for us to look at other people whom we classify as sinners and, and say, I'm not them, and furthermore, they give me the willies. And I, I, I was reflecting on that a few days ago as I was driving behind somebody who had an equal sign. Now, in case you're not aware, we're not talking about, about mathematics here. We're talking about the campaign to have equality for people of the LGBTQ community. By the way, Q stands for queer, which I, I, I don't know quite what to do with that. Um, but I looked at that, and, and it, it got my blood boiling. And I thought, my goodness gracious, um, you know, this is part of the, the gay lobby, and they're coming after us, and, and if, if one of us has a business that doesn't want to cater to a gay wedding, they're going to go after us, take us to court, and bankrupt us, and, you know, this is part of the conspiracy. You know, you've heard that, right? And then, then the Lord brought me to, to my past. D don't get nervous here. When I worked uh, in an AIDS lab, and I had a lot of connection with, with gay people of all sorts before I came into the ministry. And, and I recognized one basic fact, that even though they define themselves in lots of ways as by their gay affiliation, underneath all of that is often, well, I shouldn't say often, underneath all that there is always a person of need with brokenness and rather than view them as the enemy we need to view them as people who need the basic touch of Yeshua and I had to do some thinking and repenting simply as, as a reminder that we are in a polluted defiled world, and Donald Trump or not Donald Trump, this is our society, folks. And um, we're heading in a direction that has been called post-Christian and talks about, people refer to it as deconstructionism. In other words, taking what was considered to be uh, normative standards and breaking it down into... Um, rugged individualism. Um, I'll do what I want to do because that's right for me, and you'll do what you'll do because it's right for you, and etc., etc., ad infinitum, ad nauseum. In other words, there, there are no standards, no absolutes, which ironically is an absolute statement. <laughs> but Yeshua's point simply is, I've been put here to be a representative of the Father. And you and I, as Yeshua's disciples, have been put here to be representatives of our Messiah and, and, and our Lord. 
And part of reality for us is to be able to step back and take off our self-righteousness and recognize the simple fact that we are sinners too. We may not see ourselves as sinners with a capital S, but if we pause long enough and recognize where God has taken us from, we will realize that we have no leg to stand on in terms of looking at someone who seems to be defiled, more defiled than we are, and point our bony finger at them. And then Yeshua quotes from Hosea 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burn offering. Of course, in the context of Hosea, this is referring to God's anguish and anger at the fact that Israel had broken the covenant. And, and by the way, the, the Hebrew word is, can be translated a number of different ways because it is chesed. Chesed chafatzti. I desired love, a covenant committed, loyal love and knowledge of God. Yeshua quotes that to these guys who knew scripture and yet he says to them go and learn now if you're familiar with rabbinic thinking you will recognize that as code word which is what the rabbi would say to his disciples go and learn that was a phrase that was used typically go and learn so Yeshua is saying to them you guys who are full of yourself and full of knowledge and convinced that you are righteous, go and learn because you really don't get it. You really don't get what, what the Word of God says even though you study it and study it and study it and presume to teach it. Go and learn what the big stuff is about. Now again, he is not in any way, shape or form any more than Hosea minimizing the sacrificial system. He's not saying uh, this is not the way to have atonement. He's simply saying, remember that what God is looking for is the heart. And if you pause and think about it, folks, we have met the enemy and he is us. What do I mean by that? Legalism is alive and well. Why? Legalism is real simple. It, it has to do with figuring out ways to look good and then going about and doing it. Which is external. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with what's in the heart. So that's why you come up with rules and regs and so on and check them off and, yeah, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. And the Lord says, get rid of that baloney. What I'm interested is in the heart. Do you have a heart for me and heart for people? Now, part of reality, folks, is we all live in, in a world in which each one of us has life circumstances. You know, if you get to be ancient like I am, then then you have uh, 
the folks who are older and folks who are younger that you need to take care of, you have health issues, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so part of reality is we get consumed with ourselves. What's happening with me and am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Uh, what will I be doing five, ten years from now? You know, all these valid questions, legitimate questions. And what, what does the Word of God say to us? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, you put God first, and somehow He'll find a way, somehow, since He's God, He'll find a way to see to it that your needs are taken care of. Now, obviously, we, we need to be responsible human beings. However, if we are to be disciples of Yeshua, then what is our focus? Our focus is, first of all, on knowing, understanding, and, and doing the Father's will, and relating to Yeshua's priorities, folks. And there are lots and lots of tax collectors and prostitutes around us, folks. We live in what can be considered a godless world. You have lots of people who are uh, moral, upstanding individuals, who are caring people, but for whom God doesn't really fit in the picture. Let me give you one statistic. The community that we've been called to reach, the Jewish community, according to the Pew Research, 77% of the Jewish respondents said, you don't have to believe in God and be Jewish. 77%. Now, if you were to talk to the community as a whole, the non-Jewish and everybody else thrown together, I would assume that the statistics are probably about the same. We live in a godless society, a society that really does not see fit the need for God to be in the picture. And we have been called to swim upstream and to do it in a way that is not defensive because we don't have to attack anybody, because we don't have to prove anything to anybody, because we're secure in who we are in the Father's love. We are secure in our commitment to Yeshua, and we just want to be available and receptive to whatever it is that God has in mind for us to Matthew types to where we simply are able to interact with them and depend that God, God's word somehow will come from us to them. Now what that means is yes, you need to be knowledgeable. Yes, you need to study the word of God because as you do, what's in here will overflow and come forth. If the word of God is not part of you, when you talk, what comes forth will be the Broncos or Donald Trump, etc. But if the Word of God is part of who you are, then it will come forth. 
and it would be natural and you don't need to have a uh, a strategy and four points and 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 a, and a uh, sales pitch, you know, a shtick where you have to sell anything. You do what Yeshua did. You sit down, you associate, you interact, you connect with him. Now, there is a, a pretty major caveat that I want to throw out as we consider this and conclude this. You and I are not Yeshua. Basic reality. He can go here, 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 and know at any and all given times that he was doing the Father's will. And uh, he could mix with people without himself becoming defiled. Now, folks, that's not so simple for us. Because part of reality is we're susceptible to stuff that comes flying at us through people of all kind. And so part of reality for us, yes, you may leave, dear. <laughs> part of reality for us is that we better know that where we go somewhere, we go where the Lord has gone before us. Or at least to say, God, here I am, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Today, you lead me. I'm, I'm somewhat retarded, but you can, you can manage to lead me where I need to go. And go in faith and, and be discerning that what comes out is God's chesed, God's mercy, God's word from us, and that what we receive is positive and helpful, that we don't get defiled and polluted. I believe that as we follow Yeshua, the Spirit of God will keep us, and that we will not need to be like the Pharisees, by the way, the Hebrew word for Pharisee, parush, means one who keeps himself separate. They kept themselves separate from people, thinking that if they keep themselves separate from people, they will keep themselves separate from defilement. That's not what we've been called. We've been called to make the connection with people. Trusting that God will see to it that we are kept undefiled. As Jude puts it this way, unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling. God is able to do that. And we simply need to say, Lord, here I am. I'm willing. Disciple of Yeshua does not hide, does not seem to, does not look to isolate himself or herself, makes themselves available for the kingdom of God to impact those around them who desperately, desperately, desperately in this day and age need to hear the good news. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that what your word puts before us is impossible. Lord, to be in the world, not to be of it, 
And yet we trust you that you are able to take us and, and keep us in your will to be vessels for honor that you can use, Lord God, to touch people around us. Lord God, as the time winds down, we desire to be about your business. We desire, Lord God, that your kingdom would expand forcefully, that where there is much sin, that there would be much grace. Our confidence, Lord God, is in you. Pray, Lord God, that your ruach, your spirit, will challenge us to press forth to be your vessels in this world. In Yeshua's name, amen.